What's going on, everyone? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 137 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with country artist and my favorite Australian, Morgan Evans. Thanks for checking out the show. I uh, really appreciate you sharing some of your day with me. If this is your first time listening to the Adult Education Podcast, well, welcome to the family. I'd love it if you had subscribed to the show so you're updated for all future episodes. And if you wouldn't mind leaving a nice rating or review, I'd appreciate that too. If you want to connect with me, the best way to do that is through Instagram. We are at Adult Education Podcast. You can see when new episodes are posted and you can DM me with any comments, questions, and suggestions for future topics or guests. I would love to hear from you. I'm also on Instagram at St. Pierre on air if you want to find that too. This week's episode was a lot of fun for me. I've known today's guest for quite a few years now as he's been growing his career in country music. We first met back at a festival called the Windy City Smokeout. I want to say it was 2017. Since then, we've connected on many other tours and events over the years. So not only am I a fan of his music, but I also appreciate him as a human being. He's just always been so kind to my family and I, and we've had some really fun times over the years. So this week's guest is Morgan Evans. You may know him for songs like Kiss Somebody, Day Drunk, or maybe even Over For You, a song that became viral as it addressed his divorce last year with Kelsey Ballerini. However you know him, I hope you learn a little more about Morgan in this conversation. So I'm always hesitant to interview people that I'm familiar with. I don't know, it's kind of hard to ask questions when I feel like I already know the answer. So for our conversation here, I wanted to dive into a little more about his life in Australia before becoming a full-time Nashville recording artist. Morgan has this whole history in Australia that I don't know a ton about. So we also talk about touring both in the States and abroad, as well as what it's like to be picking up speed again after the pandemic put the brakes on so much. So please enjoy my conversation with Morgan Evans. What's going on? Hey, mate. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you doing? Sorry, man. It, was like, uh, it made me download a new version of Zoom or something oh. like that to make but, um, Don't you hate that? It's always something when we do these video calls, but it is also better to do an interview where I can see who I'm talking to. So that's the way I look at it. Like I don't record the video portion for anything. I just record the audio to use for the podcast. But I just feel like a conversation is always better when you can actually see the other person you're talking to. Totally, totally. What are you in a closet right now or something? It's not a closet. It's my basement, but the basement is a disaster. So I have like a sheet that hangs behind me, so you can't see anything behind because <laughs> nobody needs to see piles of laundry and other things that are floating around in the basement here. fantastic fantastic <laughs> uh so what's going on now i've been in nashville for four days in a row which is pretty unique wow. for me this year quite enjoying sleeping in my own bed for a few nights um no it's been good to be back in town i finished up a few songs that i had kind of halfway done and you know, when you get in the busy stage of your life, you kind of push a lot of stuff to sure. when you're not busy. It's been good to take a few of that, uh, that kind of thing off this week and it like, you can just let go of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not even just being busy for you. I mean, I know a lot of artists will try to make a trek overseas somewhere, but like you've been doing a lot of back and forth throughout the last year. I mean, all things considered going from Australia back here, I mean, bouncing around that takes a lot on you too. It does. Yeah. It's funny. The amount of shows that we've played is a good number. I don't know exactly what it is, but the amount of days away that we've had is ridiculous just because of all the international travel. But I think, I feel like we all get paid back um, with the shows we get to play when we do that though. Yeah. Uh, I feel like when you, when you travel to places in Europe or the UK or Australia or New Zealand, you can feel how much people appreciate it. Like they know how long you, 
you took to get yeah. there, you know, and then you, you get re repaid in the energy that you get to play to. So do you still feel that in Australia? That's an interesting comment. Cause like say, I don't know, Luke Combs, I know he's in Europe right now. So we'll use him as an example when he goes over yeah. to play in Europe. Like, yeah, I get it. Luke is an American artist that doesn't get to travel overseas very often to do shows. I'm sure there's a lot of appreciation for the fact that he's made the, but like when you go to Australia, you're Australian. Do you get the same vibe from people where they're like, yeah, I mean, he's just coming to visit family. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's interesting because maybe it, it might look like that, but it doesn't feel like that because yeah. I haven't done a I haven't done a tour down there uh, of my own since 2019, so it really had been a long time, um, and it's definitely different to be there and than to be there playing shows. Sure. That's a completely different feeling, um, and the best way I can describe it is, and and I feel this all the time. We're on the road that someone in one of the bands or one of the crews will have a hometown show, you know, and they'll be the guest list will have all their family or their friends on it and stuff like that. And I feel like having been here now for eight years, when I go back to Australia, the whole country feels like my hometown. It really does feel like that. And um, it feels like coming home um, at, at every stop along the way, which is, which is really cool, really cool feeling. Well, it's interesting too, because you had quite a run of success in Australia before you even came to America to try to do country music. I mean, you had a whole rock thing budding before you decided to to move, make the move to America and start going that route. So you you have quite a base there already of people that know who you are and that are familiar with you. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone remembers the rock band that I was in because that was when I was in school, but... Extortion? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was, I was literally 13 years old when I was doing that, but... No, I mean, I did I did put out uh, two EPs and a full-length album uh, in Australia before I moved to America. So I was releasing music and touring and, and doing all that for quite a few years before. I, I think 2008 was the time my first solo song came out. So it was a, it was a good chunk of time. And um, it's funny, man, playing these shows, you can see like people yelling out for like, the old stuff. And the, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, you've been going to shows for 15 years and you, you can sort of pick those people out, which is, um, it's a it's a big chunk of time and a big chunk of my life. And it's cool to see it all come together in shows like that, that, you know, that's not going to happen anywhere else in the world. So it makes it extra special. I did watch the music video today for Big Skies. And uh, I, I loved the the throwback vibe of 2007, 2008, Morgan Evans. Like you had you had the early 2000s hair, like you had the whole thing going in the outfit. Yeah, I was like, I was channeling um, early Keith Urban pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> you can probably tell. I mean, uh, I idolized that guy. I mean, I still do it in a lot of ways too, but it's funny, man. I, I feel like uh, it's interesting now. I feel like maybe I'm the first generation of people. You, you look back and you think of, you know, artists that you love, but you never got to see their first songs. But now everything is uploaded. As soon as you can play a song, you put it on YouTube or whatever. And now everything kind of exists there to be discovered if you care to look. And um, I think a lot of people probably feel the same way about their early stuff. There's so many great memories attached to it. And at the same time, I watch myself in a video like that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> a little cringy, you know? I think about that with a lot of like the, so I grew up kind of more in the, the punk rock hardcore world when I was younger. And there's a lot of yeah. bands that still play to this day that I fell in love with when I was high school in high school, you know, 25 years ago. And the songs that 
I think I connect to the most are the songs that I first heard 25 years ago. And those are the songs the bands are like, no effing way are we playing that music. <laughs> like we've we've grown, we've changed, all of that. So it, it's interesting when you have, you know, such a body of work that's, ex, you know, extended through such a, a long group of time or a long length of time that there are going to be people that are like, that's the, that's the song I heard the night that I was on my first date or whatever. And that's the song they're going to connect with the most. But as an artist, you got to grow. I mean, you got to grow in your own way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I actually feel pretty lucky that I can go back lyrically through all, all the stuff that I've put out and still feel okay about singing it. Like, I don't feel like I'm singing about <laughs> the time I was bullied in high school or like fell in love with the girl in the library or something. You know, I don't, I don't have those. Uh, I was into that punk rock hardcore scene as well. And I know a lot of those lyrics like tend to skew really young, but it, you, you, you got to embrace it. I yeah. mean, that's just, it, it's there. And, and like you said, it becomes a special part of people's lives, depending on when they discovered it or, or what it meant to them or what it still means to them. So, um, yeah, that, that song specifically, Big Skies, was one of, it was the second song I ever co-wrote. I, um, I came to Nashville for the first time and I went back to my hometown. I was like, hey, they write songs together over there. You don't have to do it by yourself. And so uh, I called, um, I didn't call him because I didn't have his phone number, but I ran into him somewhere in town, the singer of my favorite local band. Uh, a guy named Mark Wells, who is now one of my best mates. Um, but I, I ran into him. I was like, hey, hey, Mark, I'm Morgan. I, I play in this other band. Um, but I write my own songs too. And uh, I, what if we wrote one together? How, like, that might be interesting. And um, we wrote our first song. It took us three days. And then our second song we wrote when he was in hospital. He um, has cystic fibrosis. And so he would go in once or twice a year. He we would call them services. He would go in for two weeks at a time. <laughs> and uh, I would just go in to keep him company and take a guitar or something like that. And, uh, and we wrote that song, Big Skies, about just what it's like to be stuck inside a hospital room and wanting to get outside and see everything that's going on in the world. And so that song is up and fun as it might feel is actually kind of a, uh, has kind of a heavier positive undertone that I know means a lot to a lot of people mm. that discovered it at the time. So it's a pleasure to, to still have that one as part of the, the songs I can play. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, I got to say, seeing you recently uh, with a live band, a full band was pretty wild for me because I've probably seen you... I, like probably six or seven times, but every time it's just been you and a guitar, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but it was like such a different experience to see you like have other people that you could lean on and play the music with and not just be all relied on you and your pedals for the entire time. Yeah, man. I think I said this to you when I saw you the other night. It's like being in a band after doing the loop pedal thing for five or six years, it feels like I'm on vacation on stage now. All yeah. I have to do, all I have to do is sing and, and play guitar and, and sort of, enjoy being in the moment and I think that's um as much as I enjoyed the how connected it feels when it's just you and whoever comes to the show there's a part that you miss because you you're so busy building the tracks remembering where you're at and you because know, if you mess up when you're doing the loop thing like it's game over like one mistake and the whole thing is is ruined but when you have a band especially like my band they're so good I could completely mess up and they would still make it work somehow, but it allows that space to be in the moment and be present. And I think that that kind of moment and that kind of connection is the reason that I started doing this in the first place, whether I knew that or not. And so, yeah, it's been awesome. I, I, I started playing music to be in a band. Like I didn't have any grand ideas of being a singer songwriter or wanting to get my feelings out or anything like that. When I was 12 or 13, I just wanted to be in a band and I feel like I, I get to be in a band again now, which is, a uh, really nice feeling. 
I know there's money involved in a lot of these things, so I get that. But that aspect kind of removed. You started in music when you were really young and you had a band. And then you kind of came here. And as you were starting to break out in America, you know, with Kiss Somebody and all that, you were doing the solo thing. And now you're back mm -hmm. to a band. Why Why did it take you so long to get back into having a band? I mean, there is there is a financial aspect to it. But I, any extra money that I made when I was doing the loop thing, I always just spent it on lights or the show or something like that. I always just uh, used it to make the show better. But I think initially when I moved to America, uh, I've been playing with the same band for a long time in Australia. Like my best mate from kindergarten and my brother and um, a couple other fellas. I realized when I got to Nashville, the gigs were so infrequent that you couldn't keep a band together. Sure. Because as, as good as everyone in Nashville is, it's not like you're going to have a drummer that's going to sit around waiting for your 10 gigs in the year. They're going to get called by someone else to go to other shows. And and um, having come from a, a life experience where I played with this band that it was always the same, I played a few shows with that kind of, we had a different bass player this night or we had a different guitar player or a different drummer. And I knew that doing that, I would never be able to deliver the quality, uh, the level of quality show that I would want people that saw me to experience. And so that's why I thought, okay, for this point in my career, I need to find a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, Ed Sheeran was like just starting to kind of blow up at that time. And I saw him doing that loop pedal thing, which is what a lot of buskers do in Australia. Mm -hmm. The loop pedal is actually quite a common thing in Australia, but um, I remember seeing him do it. He was doing it in huge places too. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. That would work maybe. And I just got one and, and I got a bigger one and then I built a bigger one and then I bought all this extra stuff and built this humongous thing that I ended up taking on that, uh, that world tour in 2019. It, it ended up being this really creative thing that I became really passionate about the gear and how it all worked and the arrangements and how we would mix it and where different loops would go. Um, and then I think like a lot of folks in 2020, when everything stopped and you finally got a chance to reassess where you're at in life or what you're spending your time on, I think I realized that I missed that connection of being in a band. I missed the connection of being able to be really present on stage. And um, I think like everything in life, all the good parts and the, the tough parts, they're better when you share them with people that have a shared goal or shared value or shared vision. And um, it took me a while to find guys like that. But when I found them, I knew like this was the right call. It was time to get a band again. And um, yeah, there's no, no looking back for me now. Was there ever any conversation about bringing the guys from Australia over to join you? Or was it always like they had their own thing, their own lives, their own? Yeah. I oh, mean, I would have loved to have done that if I mean, if I'd come over and which is which never happens. And I never expected it to happen. But if I moved over in 2015 and had a hit a couple months later and I, know yeah. I could afford to bring them over and and, um, and and pay them enough to live, I would have done that for sure. But that's just not really the reality of how this business works. And um and they're, yeah, they've got their own lives now. One of them's a banker and my brother's a, a builder and he actually started the building company with another guy from the band. So they, um, they're doing really well and, um, and their families and, and all that kind of thing. So I'm really happy with them. Still really close to them, obviously, as well. And um, had that worked out, that would have been really fun. But it was, yeah, probably never meant to be. Yeah, I got you. You mentioned busking. I don't want to go off the rails too much here, but... I was talking yeah. to the guys from Seaforth before, and they both talked about how they would busk. Or is that I don't even know if I'm using that word properly anymore, but they would go out and they would busk, if you will, uh, on the streets. And I, you know, I know people do it in America, but it's not looked at 
always super positively by a lot of people. Like whenever people in America see someone playing music on the street, there's usually like question marks of like why they're there kind of thing. But hearing the Seaforth guys talk about it and hearing you talk about it, it's interesting to me. Like I wonder, is the impression different in Australia of what buskers are? It depends, man. I, I That feeling that you're talking about, I think it depends on who it is, where they are, and sure. if, if they're good or not. Yeah, there's that. Um, there's areas too, and I'm, I think it's like this in, in LA too, like down in Santa Monica, you have to have like a, not a license, but a permit or something like that for the, to busk in Santa Monica in that mall there. Um, I've heard Andy Grammer talk about it anyway, yeah. like you have to get permission and, and do all that kind of thing. And so there's areas in Australia where you, where you have to do that. And so that obviously makes the quality of thing. And then there's not people right next to each other. I honestly wasn't much of a busker, but I don't think that was because I didn't want to busk. I think it's because I grew up in a town where live music was just everything. Like mm. every single pub, every single cafe, every single restaurant had somebody playing music in it. And so um, I think my my brother and and I and, and my, my best mate from kindergarten played our first gig in a pub when we were, or a bar, <laughs> when we were like... 13 and 11 years old and my brother's 11 and, and my parents were supportive enough to take us to a pub on a Wednesday night and uh, and get to play our music so uh, I think it's probably more a credit to the town I grew up in that I never really got into busking so much but um, I I do get it I get it I mean I would have played music anywhere they let me and just thankfully they let me play music indoors <laughs> <laughs> indoors electricity everything you need right here yes you got exactly <laughs> what was it for you like i know you you got your start playing live music and, and being interested in music so young what was it for you that was the like the breaking point or the inspiration that you were like this is what i have to do like i must i must learn to play guitar i mean because when you're young like you want to do everything my daughter right now wants to be a doctor she wants to be a fireman she wants to be everything you know i know when you're younger it's hard to put the you know your finger on the one thing you want to do but it seemed like music grabbed you early it did it did i mean the reason that i took up playing music i think was just part of um i think my mom would have been a very musical person. I mean, she is a very musical person, but I think she would have played more instruments to a higher level had she been given the opportunity when she was a kid. Um, and she didn't have those opportunities. And so I think when myself and my brother and sister were born, she really just made a point of, um, in no way was pushy, but was like, do you want, would you want to learn how to play an instrument? And um, so I got the opportunity really early to discover music in that way not just I mean when I was a kid I would sing every nursery rhyme and knew all the words to Dire Straits and Garth Brooks and Glenn Campbell or whatever it was that was playing in the house but um, then learning to play an instrument I started to learn how to play piano and and I learned some musical things like reading music and stuff like that and I never connected with that part of it um, the, the technical side of it too much and so I, I played piano for a little bit I played um a baritone horn in the school band for a little bit, oh. which uh, is like a mini tuba for anyone that doesn't know what that baritone horn is. Um, it's not something that impresses the girls at all. I will tell you. That. Um, you've got, you've <laughs> got a mini horn. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. The mini horn was never how I ever expressed it, but thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know what the, the exact moment was, but I think I just saw a, a guy like, like I say, like maybe somewhere um, we were in my hometown, maybe in a in a pub or at a party or something like that. And I saw a guy in the corner playing a, a red Stratocaster guitar. 
And I remember that was the first time I'd seen a guy that wasn't on the TV or on the cover of a CD or something like he was just standing in the corner playing his guitar. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, you can, you can do that. And so um, I started to learn uh, on, on an acoustic guitar that, um, that mom had in the, in the closet somewhere. And uh, then for my 13th birthday, I got my first electric guitar, which was an electric blue Ibanez Strat copy. And um, once I got that thing, there was, um, there was no turning back. I gotta say, I don't know anything about guitars because I can't play, but I love the fact that guitarists always know the full details and descriptions of like all the guitars they've ever owned. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like the musical version, maybe even more connected than car guys, you know? Yeah. Car, car guys can tell you everything about every model of everything. Guitars are easily the same. I'm trying so hard to to inspire my daughter uh, with music as well because music is such a major part of my life, and I was never able to play anything. We couldn't afford to put me in music class or anything when I was younger, and I, I wonder if maybe if I had started learning earlier in my life if I would have played, but I, I play her music all the time and watching her react to different instruments. There's this one guy named Cody Fry. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Cody. I think he's based out of Nashville, uh, but he's doing yeah. a lot of symphony work now, and he puts his piano things on YouTube, and my daughter will like watch the videos and her little hand will come up and you can see her like twiddling her fingers like she's trying to you know play air piano along with him and it's just she's two and a half almost three years old it's just so interesting to watch the reaction that she gets from watching somebody else play music in that way yeah man that's cool that's cool definitely lean into that i, uh, I hope I mean, so that, yeah especially that kind of quality of music too that symphony stuff that's huge that's a different level of guys that can do that and arrange things like that and hear things and be able to see like be able to write music and hear it as they write it that's like a whole other level i think of musical understanding and um and mastery so that's cool she's into that i don't usually do this because i feel like it's when you tell someone you've got a favorite show and you're like you've got to watch this show on netflix and you never will watch it but as a music okay. guy if you do get a chance to look up cody fry I would suggest taking a look at it on YouTube in particular, because he puts together some really cool um, symphonic stuff on there. But anyway, uh, oh. <laughs> I digress on that one. So I know uh, it's interesting. You mentioned the pandemic before and how that kind of slowed things down. And it's interesting because I would have thought just in, you know, looking back through life of when I first got to know who you were, I think the first time I saw you was at the 930 Club um, when you were coming on tour through America. And then we saw you in Chicago at the Windy City Smokeout. But it doesn't feel it feels like I've known you for so long. But then when you actually look at the years that have encompassed that, it hasn't been that long. And the pandemic really kind of put like a big like stop sign almost on the progression that you were making at that time. Like, How does that feel when you look back on that? How does that feel for you? Anyone that had any kind of momentum going into 2020, it was really hard to um, to shift, I think. I think if. I, I don't know. I, I think about it a lot, actually, because uh, everything that you were doing stopped. And so if you weren't doing anything, it kind of made it more made more sense to try doing something else, like try to do something more online or do more on um, TikTok or whatever. But I found that really diff difficult. And I found it. I mean, I know I'm not unique in that way, but um, it definitely felt like a, a stop. But I'm grateful for the stop now because I think it gave I think it gave me a chance to just to like do those things. Like I say, like reassess and, and put a band together and try to work out what, what I actually wanted to do. What, what do I actually like? And um, I think 
the music business and entertainment business can be when things start to work, you can wind up in this situation where you're not looking very far ahead and you're just trying to get through it. And there's really not much time to reassess any of those things. So um, I'm definitely going to take the positive from that time and, and appreciate the chances that I got to do that. But I could definitely talk about it in a negative way if, if I wanted to. And maybe I did think about it like that for a little while, but um, I think I, I think I've got past that, thankfully. Look, I mean, I think we all have negatives from it, and I think we all have positives. I mean, I, I look at it like, look, did I did I want life to come to a halt? Did I want to stop doing a lot of the things that I love? No. But my wife and I had a daughter in that time, and I got to spend the first seven months of her life like with her on my lap while I'm broadcasting, doing my radio show every morning because I was working from home. That's time I would never have gotten otherwise. Like, so with all the negatives that surrounded it. That's my positive. My positive is I had those moments that as a dad, uh, a working dad, I, I never would have had all of that time with her. You know, So it, it is easy to wallow in the negativity of it. But if you're able to find that positive from those hard times, it just makes everything in a, such a different perspective. Yeah, totally. I mean, that is about the most positive positive you can have, the timing that you that worked out for you. It was wild. Yeah. Not planned, but wild. (laughs) My wife always jokes. My my wife is like, yeah, she's like, we didn't, we didn't plan their child. I was like, well, I mean, we stopped not trying to have a child. Like, so we kind of planned. (laughs) We just didn't think it would happen as fast as it did. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, we'll throw caution to the wind and like literally first try, you know, and we've actually, in a weird way, we felt guilty about that because we've had so many friends that have tried so hard and struggled and we like we're just kind of like, eh, we'll see what happens. And it it happened <laughs> like, really fast. Strong, strong swimmers. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> you know, and also thinking about it too, like you were talking about people that made the transition and started leaning into digital stuff around the pandemic. And there were some people that dove right into it. Uh, like TikTok and, you know, streams and whatever. And that sort of like slowed down for them. But I feel like you kind of ramped up after the fact with doing more social media efforts, more videos, more streaming, things like that. Uh, was that a cognitive effort from you to try to get more involved later? Um, or did it just sort of happen naturally that way? Oh, man, probably naturally. I think I'm one of those people that maybe a lot of people like this, but I'm one of those people that when I'm busy, I get a lot done. And when I've got nothing going on, it's hard for me to do anything because sure. it, it, it it doesn't sort of, when it all fits together, it makes a lot of sense. And I think um, just when everything kind of stopped in 2020, I felt a little bit frozen and a little bit paralyzed of like, well, I can't, the reasons I got into this involve other humans and being in the same room and whether that's writing a song with multiple people in a studio or whether that's playing a show to a hundred or 10,000 people, it's like, they all involve multiple people in a room and I couldn't do any of those things. So um, I think maybe I just felt a little paralyzed by that. And um, then when things started again and started to roll, then all the other stuff made sense again to me. And so um, I think that's just a natural progression of that and my personal experience of it. I love what you've been able to do in the last year. I know it's been a busy year, a hectic year, an emotional year, but I love that you've been able to go out and do your own tours because especially in country music, I feel like quote unquote newer artists have a harder time touring on their own. They always kind of have to be attached to somebody else, go out on a big tour in that regard. Not everybody can go out and pull off a tour on their own. And I love that you've been able to do that to really kind of spread your wings in a way and like let people know who you are and like this is this is my show this is what I'm all about right now I think it's great that you had that opportunity 
Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And you're right. It's, I think that might be an American thing too, maybe an American country music thing. You don't see people going out and doing their own tours at, um, at a, a club or a small theater level all that often. Um, but that's kind of the way that I came up in Australia and that's what we've been doing in the UK and Europe. And I, it's terrifying, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you put these, you put these shows on sale in, in markets where people are used to going to see huge country shows. They're not used to going to see the smaller ones. So, um, yeah, it, it was terrifying. And, and, um, now that we're here, it's actually the opposite. It's like, so, joyful and i mean you were there in baltimore the other night it's like the feeling in those rooms is so unique you can't get that feeling in a in an amphitheater or an arena or something like that and so um i know for me shows like that i'll remember forever and if we come back to baltimore and there's twice as many people there i'll still know that that's because we did the one before you know um and that's just that's been my life experience playing music and so um that's what i'm going to keep keep doing it's tough too, like depending on the, the different parts of the country where like like in baltimore for example like we don't really have like you know say a 700 person club that people are going to come out to for a show you know what i mean like we've got 1500 we've got you know six thousand we've got fifteen thousand. so it, it's tough like we don't have that sort of like small area or even that intermediate area where like artists that are be a little too big for 1500 but aren't big enough for 6000 like we don't have that and a lot of places are like that you don't have a lot of cities that have a million different venues like say in New York or an LA or a Chicago where you've got all these different sizes so i imagine it is tough to find the right room for it's going to be the right size for you as well yeah i i mean honestly my my agent kind of <laughs> does a lot of that and sends me like this is what we think you should do and um, I know that they look at all the whatever streams and sales and radio play and all that kind of thing to try to determine that. So um, I kind of have to just trust people when it comes to that kind of thing. But um, if there's a if there's a stage and there's a sound system that's good and people know about it, um, I'll I'll show up and um, and like I said, like feel that feeling that was we felt in Baltimore the other night. It's like a it makes it all worth it. I got accosted by one of your fans, by the way, at the uh, at the show. Uh, one of the women that was at your pre-show, like little hang where you were playing some music, she found me, I guess after I had done your intro, so she knew that I worked for a radio station. So she found me and she was like, I listened to your radio station today and I did not hear Morgan Evans. And I was like, I mean, I... I personally played him twice this morning and we gave away tickets like all day. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. She's like, well, I didn't hear it. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Uh, that's the kind of support that, um, that makes me really, really happy. So whoever that was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Well, Morgan, listen, I have taken a lot of your time today and I appreciate you, man. I, I, it's been such a pleasure to watch you over the years. Like I said, the first time I saw you was at the 930 Club. You were opening up a show and I remember texting your record label that moment. I was like, I think he's on Warner. I must text somebody. I was like, this guy is it. Like, I don't know what your plan is for him, but he's going to be great. And this was well before Kiss Somebody came out. So it's just been awesome to see you grow. And uh, and I love it, man. I love to see all these these good things coming your way right now. Thank you, man. It means a lot. And um, likewise, appreciate all the support over the years. Uh, it doesn't go unnoticed. So, um, yeah, thank you. Well, hopefully we'll see you soon, man. Have a great one. And, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later. All right. See you, mate.
Big thank you to Morgan Evans. His latest EP is titled Life Upside Down, and he also just dropped a new single called Thank God She's a Country Girl. Check out his music. I do not think that you'll be disappointed. And thank you to all of you for checking out the Adult Education Podcast. Again, please subscribe so you're notified of all future episodes. Until next time, be well.